All right, morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I'm the lead pastor of Renovation Church. Welcome to our very last Sunday at North Point Elementary. Uh, I, uh, I, I've said that two years ago as well, and I meant it, uh, <laughs> but I think I mean it this time. Okay, uh, next Sunday, after 17 weeks away, we are finally uh, going back home uh, to our building, and so we're so, so excited about this. I am pumped. I just... I cannot wait for you to see the progress of what's happened over the last four months. Uh, I've been saying this every week, but if you haven't heard me say this yet, uh, when we go back, our building is not done. Uh, We still actually have over six months of construction still, but we are at that point in construction now where we can finally safely get back in and have worship services uh, there again. Uh, Just a few kind of reminders and instructions for when you come to church back at our building uh, next Sunday. Uh, We are down a kid's classroom for the fall, so if you have kids ages 10 and 11, they will need to be in the worship center with us for the fall until we hit uh, around early to mid-January and we can open up our expanded kids wing and then go back to renovation kids. Also, uh, the new northern expansion part of the parking lot is finished, but the southern expansion, uh, including the turn lane off of Lexington, is still two to three-ish weeks out from being done. So when you drive to church, you can come in. I mean, if you're New this summer, just follow Google Maps or something. But for the rest of you, when you get there, uh, you just basically will come in on the same frontage road, Frazier, if you'd like, and come in the same way you did before. Or if you're coming from this direction where we are now and you're driving east on 125th, you actually can just take a right-hand turn right into the parking lot off 125th, which is, which is really cool. And remember, when you get there this Sunday, this is kind of like if you had been remodeling or adding on to your home and now you're living in it again, but the work isn't completely done. So not everything that you see, even in the lobby and the worship center, will be fully done. So some things are gonna change. Some counters might change. Some paint will change. We'll be continuing to add and swap out furniture and that sort of thing. So as you come over the next few weeks, it'll be kind of cool in a sense that you'll get to see the finishing touches happening. And then, really over the next six months, You'll get to see a lot of changes in the expanded parts of the building and all around the property, which I think will be kind of neat because we've, in a sense, sort of been distant from this whole thing for four months, and now you'll get to watch the evolution of it uh, every single week for the next six months, which is really cool. And listen, I know that when we go back, it's not like, it's not finished, right? We're not having like a big grand opening or anything like that because we've got six months to go, but I would still say there are so many people in the community that are coming up to me and other people I know and they just keep asking, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? And I just encourage you, feel free, you can invite people next Sunday, even though we're not done, the gospel is still being preached, okay? And we're gonna be in our building, invite someone to see what's going on over there, because we think God is doing some really cool things. And then uh, last final announcement on that, we will be starting a new series uh, next week as well, uh, as I will embark us on a new study of a new book of the Bible. We're gonna be teaching through uh, Paul's amazing letter to the Ephesians uh, starting next week which would be really cool. Okay, let's get into our message for today. We are finishing a short series called Remember Who You Are. And if that doesn't make you think of the Lion King, are you even human? Okay. Uh, <laughs> last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about how you as a Christian are a priest. Uh, we talked about you are a temple. And this week, we're going to dive into the biblical concept that you are an instrument. That is that God wants to use you for his purposes. Now, 
Before we go any further, let's just pause for a moment and let's think about how awesome that is, that the creator of the universe wants to use you. I'm not sure that we stop and think about that enough. Like imagine, okay, let's say Elon Musk called me right now, which I'm sure he has my number, and uh, I'll say he called, and he wants to talk to you, and he wants you to work for him at SpaceX or Tesla, right? How would you feel? Now, maybe you're not an Elon Musk guy. That's okay. Uh, maybe you're more like uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. I don't know, right? Maybe, maybe you've got like a politician you really respect, uh, if you can find one. Uh, l- l- just say, pick, pick somebody that you respect in your mind, right? And imagine that they call you up and they say, I want you to come work for me, how would you feel? I think for most of us, we would just feel unworthy, we'd feel shocked, you'd go, I, me? me? You want me, right? But think about it, what about when the king of kings, the one that just spoke the universe into existence says, I want you to be used for my purposes? Whoa, I mean, that ought to blow our minds. And so we're gonna talk about that truth this morning and learn how we can be even more of an instrument for his purposes. So uh, grab a Bible if you brought one. We're gonna be in 2 Timothy today, uh, chapter two, uh, page 814, if you're using a church Bible. Uh, if you're using our app, which you might need a nice glowy screen on a cloudy day like today, uh, and you can just go to uh, Sunday services and weekly verses. Uh, this is, again, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, an early Christian leader, and he's writing to Timothy, who was his mentee, and he's teaching him all sorts of things, including how to be an instrument in the hand of God. So here we go. We're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 20. Okay, here's what Paul writes. He says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay, so let's start, see if we can get our minds kind of wrapped around uh, this metaphor here. So Paul's saying that in a large house in those days, a wealthy person, would have all sorts of different types of articles. They would uh, have really special, important uh, vessels and articles, like uh, gold and silver dishes, for instance, that they would bring out when they had really important people over. But they would also have just kind of common, regular articles, and they would have sort of ignoble ones, you know, things that you would use for trash and that sort of thing. And then Paul makes the connection that each Christian believer is like a vessel, is like an instrument for the use of the master of the house, right, who is God in this situation. And some of us are ready to be special instruments for his purposes. And others of us, at least in our current state, are more similar to the instruments that are more for common use. And really that's actually just a PC way of saying ignoble or dishonorable use, which is actually what most of the translations say. So the application of these three verses then is if you want to be used as an instrument of God, it's important that you cleanse yourself from the ignoble, from the sinful parts of your life. It's kind of like this, okay, let's say you went over to a friend's house, and you were thirsty, and you looked around and you saw, ha, what a beautiful, tall, cool 
glass of water they have in this picture. So you think, I'm going to pour myself a glass of water. So you're looking around for some cups all around their house, and you can only find four cups. And you pull out the first cup, and I don't know if you can see this way in the back, but you look at the first cup, and there's lipstick still all over, ew, on the front of the cup. And you're going, I'm not, there's no way I'm, I'm pouring in that. So you look around some more, and you find another cup, and like, what is this? Like some kid or something had chocolate milk and didn't wash, what is this, the Soren house? They didn't wash their dishes? I'm so unbelievable, right? My wife's not in the service, is she? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, this is, no, I don't want to drink out of that, right? And then you look around some more, and I think I just got chocolate on my hand. Look at that. Um, And you look at, what did they have like a, what was this, a potted plant or something? There's literally dirt in this cup. You're going, I don't want to pour anything in that. And then you look around, thankfully, there's one more cup. And this cup is sparkly clean. And you go, ha, here is a vessel I can use for my purposes, Okay. That's what Paul is saying. So look at verse 21. Now that you understand this, look at the middle verse again. He says, those who cleanse themselves. Okay, that's wiping clean your vessel from the latter. That's those ignoble purposes will be instruments for special purposes, made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. That's an amazing assignment that you could be an instrument in the hand of God. I pray that every single person in this room, that in your heart is this desire that says, I want to be useful to the master, as Paul says. And God is saying to you in this word right here that if you want that, if you want God to use you in great ways, like to really, some of you want this, it's the desire of your heart to impact your children, to impact your family. For others of you, it's at work, it's in the community. If you want that, you have got to therefore work with the Holy Spirit, okay? You can't just grit this out on your own. You've got to work with the Holy Spirit to begin to cleanse out sin from your life. And we get some really practical examples here. So that was verse 22. Look at that one more time now that you understand it. So 22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we actually get some super practical examples here in 22. We get an example of one clean cup and then he gives us four examples of uh, what dirty cups look like. So I actually think we can use 22 as a framework of the types of sin that we need to cleanse from our lives so we can be useful to the master and a special instrument for his purposes. So what is it that we're told to do? Let's, let's look at this on the, on the screen. Number one, if you want to become a useful instrument to God, the first thing this verse tells us to do is we should pursue purity, not the desires of youth. Paul says to flee the desires of youth. Primarily when you see this in the scriptures, it means sensuality, right? We're talking about sexual sin, which is a great hindrance to God using you as an instrument of his purposes. Now, I'm not gonna say much about this today because we talked at length about this particular thing last week when we were talking about being a temple of the Holy Spirit. But before we go any further, I need to clarify something, and I wanna make sure that everybody understands this, okay? Because if you don't get this, you're going to be like, Dad, David, I can't believe you. Okay, let, let me just really clearly say this to you. God can and he does use dirty vessels. Okay, that's almost like the tagline of the Old Testament, if you really read it. He does. He uses us, okay? And none of, honestly, none of us is truly sparkly clean, right? 
Now, positionally, yes, God has washed away our sin, right, in Christ, but in reality, in our everyday lives, we still sin. Not a person in this room is perfect, and the existence of sin in your life does not mean that God can't use you. Okay, we got that? Everybody on the same page? However, the point of this particular passage in the Bible is that if we willfully continue in a sin, and we say, I know the Bible doesn't want me to do that, I know God, that's not God's heart for me, but I don't care. I'm just gonna continue in this. If we willfully continue in a sin, we shouldn't expect God to use us. Now, he may use us for a time to positively impact people around us. Sometimes I think God uses people even in spite of themselves. But eventually, if we just continue in sin, what God will do is he will take our glass and he will put it down for a while at least and he will pick up a different glass for his purposes. And this is because holiness, holiness, which is the great forgotten truth in American Christianity, Holiness is incredibly important to the master who chooses which vessels to use for his purposes. Let me show you an amazing quote from Robert Murray McShane. He said this, it is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. We do not understand this in America because we are obsessed with talent and strengths and gifts But at the end of the day, if you want to be used by God over a lifetime, I'm not just talking next month, over a lifetime, it does not matter how talented you are, how smart you are, how gifted you are. What matters is that we strive to look like, think like, and be like Jesus, even when no one is watching us. And so how else are we called to be like Jesus in this passage in 2 Timothy? Let me show you number two. Number two is this, we are called to pursue righteousness. It's like another word for holiness, not carelessness. And by this, I mean a carelessness about sin, that you don't really care that much about holiness, that you don't think about it. And I think this is a challenge for us a little bit because most of us, depending on your age a little bit, and especially if you grew up in a Christian household, most of us are byproducts of our parents' faith or our grandparents' faith. And especially if your parents grew up in a time, uh, especially if it's closer to the middle of the 20th century, many Christians reacted to what they were experiencing in those days as a, as a fundamentalism, as a legalism, where Christianity became so much about rules. And so what happened is people reacted to that and said, I don't want it to be about rules, I want it to be about a relationship. I want a relationship with Jesus. Now, that's really good, right? And that's biblical, and that's important. Now, many of us, we grew up in that, and it was so focused on relationship that we, in the Christianity we grew up, didn't think that much about holiness. And so we were really careful to focus on our relationship, but we became more careless, I would say, about everyday sin, where we go, what we do, what we say, what we watch, way more so than our grandparents who thought about it all the time. And the downfall of that is there tends to be even more of this stuff in different ways. Of course, people back then had it in pride and other things, but we muddy our lives with dirt because we're not that serious anymore about righteousness, about holiness. Now, let me, let me load the last three on here together, and I'll talk about them a little quicker. So thirdly, faith. 
Paul says to pursue faith. Even, you know, you read in the Gospels, Jesus talks multiple times about the quantity of faith, which is kind of weird to us as we read it, but it matters. Faith matters. Fourthly, when it comes to unforgiveness, uh, let's say uh, you have a family member who has wronged you. Anyone in here have a family member who's wronged you? Oh, look, everyone. Uh, Look at that, and they're sitting next to you. That makes it even more awkward. Okay. Let's say that your family member has wronged you, but let's say it's more serious, okay? Let's say that in your heart, maybe it's a parent, uh, maybe it's a sibling, you have refused to forgive them. I don't mean to condone it, I just mean you've refused to forgive them. Now, as hard of a word as that is, when you do that, when you take that position, you're going against the will and the example of Jesus the one who undeservedly forgave you. And if that's the case, that makes it therefore harder for God to shine his love through you when you are holding on to forgiveness. It's like, how can we go out to a watching world and say, Jesus loves you so much, even if you've really messed up, he'll forgive you. But then we look to people who've really messed up in our lives and we say, I won't forgive you. Do you see that we're missing the reflection there? That's why Jesus, when he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, right? He says that when we should pray, we should say, Father, forgive us our sins as we, do you see the reflection piece here? As we forgive those who have sinned against us. And if you're truly going to reflect Jesus, he's not gonna shine through you if you're dirtying up with things that don't look like him, like bitterness and unforgiveness. And that's really similar to the fifth one, we're to pursue peace as Christians. So if you're the person right now that is causing division, maybe with your in-laws, or maybe at work, and not seeking reconciliation, and not seeking peace, that's not the way of Jesus. And so again, it makes it actually less likely that God would pick up your cup and use you for his purposes as an instrument to bring living water to a thirsty world. Now let me, let me call time out for a second. I think that some of this sounds weird to us, maybe even wrong to some of you. And I would guess that there's a number of you in this room that are going, I don't, I don't know if I even like how this sounds. Why is that? Why does it feel wrong to some of us? I think it's because it's really against the grain of our current American culture, this sort of biblical teaching. I would say it's even against the grain of how some of our churches tend to think, the ones that are more in line with the culture. It's because even in churches, we're so used to hearing things like, God loves everybody, he's got an amazing plan for everybody, and he's gonna use every single one of you in amazing ways. That's, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? But if you were to actually study the Bible, the Bible, not American sprinkles over the Bible, I'm saying the actual Bible is gonna say something more like this. If you willfully continue in sin, do not expect God to use you. In fact, it's actually more likely that he, as a loving father, would discipline you than use you. Whoa. Now, again, that might be like, but okay, I'm just asking you, every Christian, whether you live in Mozambique or you live in Europe or you live in America, we all have to step outside of our own culture 
and our own presuppositions and see truth in scripture as it is. So if you get rid of all of our sort of cultural sentimentalities and we look at this and you see this from God's perspective, even if you just use logic, I think the teaching of 2 Timothy makes a ton of sense. Let me explain it to you this way. Okay, let's say that you are a family business owner. You own your own family business. And you got a number of employees and your business is growing. And let's also say for the sake of illustration that you have four sons and they all, four adult sons and they all work for you in your family business. Now let's say two of your sons are incredibly responsible and they're always on time and they work hard and they're trustworthy and they do amazing things at work. But your other two sons are lazy and they stay out late at night drinking and they show up late the next day and so on and so forth. Now let me ask you, which of your sons would you use as the person in charge? Which of your sons would you use as a vessel to further your work? And which of your sons would you rely on less and maybe even have a stern talk with and maybe even discipline, right? That is what God is saying in 2 Timothy here. If we persist in sin, it absolutely lessens the chance that God is going to pick us up and use us as an instrument to further the work of his kingdom in this world. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you in your sin. Let me go back to the family business analogy, right? Okay, would you still love your sons even if they didn't show up for work? Yes, absolutely, 100%. And God loves you in your sin. Even when we are in all-out rebellion against God, he still loves us. But that doesn't mean that he's going to use us. And it's important that we understand the difference. And so I think the question for every single one of us is what is the sin? Maybe the Holy Spirit's been even just putting it on your heart this morning. What is the sin that you just need to turn from, that you just need to say, God, I need your help with this one. I want to get this out of my life because I think it's kind of mucking up the glass of my instrument, and I want to be useful to you. What is that that you need to begin cleansing out of your life? Because what is it that you want to see God do through your life? Some of you, you have family members you want to see come to Christ. Some of you, you're serving the poor. You've started a ministry. You know, there are a hundred of you that are small group leaders this year in our house groups, and the Lord's leading you to lead. And notice, by the way, this is kind of an interesting connection at the end of this passage. Will you look again, just to humor me, look at the end of verse 22, because he's talking about walking out your faith. And then what do we see? At the end of 22, it says, the way that you walk out of your faith walk out your faith, he says, as you do it along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So in other words, he's saying, you can't, you want to do all those five things we had on there? You can't do that alone. You've got to be with other people. We need to hear this right now in America. You know why? That's because in America, especially post-COVID, we are in a loneliness epidemic. And sadly, in many ways, it's infiltrated even our American churches. Many churches in America have now reduced what it means to do church down to just watching a live stream from home. I, mean, I, I'll, I'll, I don't know if anyone else is going to say it. I'll say it. Not church, okay? A part of, a fraction of it, 
right? What we're doing here on Sunday mornings, this is important. It is the teaching of the word of God. It is corporate worship. It is serving. All of those things are important, but it's a fraction of it. You can't fully be the church if you're not with people in the church because one of the main ways the church is described is a body. You know, the New Testament has 59 what are called one another commands. 59, like love one another, encourage one another, serve one another. And you can't do that if you're watching a screen from home. Nor can you do that if you just walk into Renovation Church every Sunday and you never know anyone. Because who are you going to challenge? Who is going to encourage? Who's going to do that for you? Right? Biblically, if you want to live these things out, you've got to be with other people. And that's challenging, especially if you're an introvert. You're like, please stop, okay? Right? (laughs) But we need this. This is God speaks truth for you. This is why we're so passionate about house groups at our church. It's why from when we started this church years and years ago in this gym, we've had 80% of our people in groups because we talk about it all the time because we know that's what it means to be the church. And I want that for your life. Our house groups did so many amazing things last year. We take care of each other, right? Like when someone has a baby. There's a baby born in this church about every six hours, I think. Uh, (laughs) And so when people have babies, our house groups, they're there. They're bringing meals. They're supporting. Someone's in the hospital. They're visiting, right? We challenged each other to grow in our faith. People got in the word, some of them for the first time last year. People were leaving addictions behind. When we come in community, God moves. There were just so many stories last year, and I wish I could tell them all to you, but I have time to tell you two, and I want to tell you two stories of what happened in house groups last year. Here's the first one. So one of our house groups last year had a single mom who was going through a challenging time financially due to the mental health challenges that her daughter was facing. And she found out that her daughter needed to be treated at a special facility, which is great, but often those things are are quite costly. And so she shared her struggles with the group in the faith update part of the night, which good for her, I say, for being vulnerable. And then her group eventually responded in a way that just blew her away. And together, her house group of people, not the church, not the church staff, the house group, her house group raised over $3,500 for the single mom so she could get her daughter into this program. Come on. That's amazing, right? Thank you. That is a, that is a church body, okay? Let me tell you another one. There was a, another family uh, in our church, different house group, uh, where the mom had a stroke at a young age and is, for now anyway, we are praying for, for healing, for success, is for now uh, partially paralyzed and in a wheelchair. And she has mostly been in the hospital. I saw, I saw her come in uh, to the service. We're so happy that you are here. Um, but for now, her family has had to prepare for what may be an entirely different future for them. But their house group has massively rallied around them. Not just spiritually, which is important, you're praying, you're encouraging, but honestly, physically. They've literally been at the house doing demo work, right? Doing, helping with the remodeling to make the house wheelchair accessible. They're painting, they're bringing meals, and on and on and on. You know what that is? That's the body of Christ. That's not just I watched something online and I got content for myself. Okay, this is the body of Christ. And what's cool is this family, some of them are new to Christ within the last year and a half. 
and they are new to Christian community. And they've said several times, I don't even know how we would have done this without community around us. Okay, that's solving the loneliness epidemic. And who's solving it? The church is solving it, right? The people of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to get back to again. And so I want you to be a part of that, okay? I want you to be in a Christian community of support. I want you to be in a Christian community where people are challenging you to grow in your faith. And I don't just want this for you. I actually want you to do this for somebody else. Okay, that's another reason why you need to be in this. So if you've kind of been like on the fence a little bit on this, I'm telling you the Lord wants you in a group like this and wants to use you as an instrument in a group like this. Because we gotta remember who we are. You are not just a consumer who consumes content for your own information. God says, I want you to be an instrument for my purposes. I want you to be an instrument to do every good work for me, an instrument in his hand. So choose today what you will be. What will you be? What will your life be about? Is it about you? Is it about the Lord? Is it about others? You know, the Apostle Paul puts this really starkly, actually, in Romans. I want to read this to you. Romans 6. I'll throw it on the screen. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Okay, so why would you do this? Why would you say, God, I want to cleanse every part of my life. I want to live for you. Why? The why matters. Well, what does he say? He says we do that because we have been brought from death to life. That's why we do it. I do it because I once was blind, but now I see. I do it because I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I deserve to die in my sins. I sinned against a holy God, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died on the cross, taking the punishment for my sins. And if I believe in him, the Bible says that I can be forgiven and I can have eternal life in heaven. He will walk in, into my life and change my life. That is amazing. Think of it this way. Okay, if I was literally in the grave and Jesus Christ in the flesh walked by my grave and he said, like Lazarus, he said, David, come out of that grave. And I came out of that grave and I started walking, what would I do? I would say, Jesus Christ, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Just tell me where to go. I'm, look at me. Look at me. I'm, I'd be just scraping dirt off my shoulder. I'd be saying, I want to be, you brought me from death to life. I want to be an instrument for you. Now, church, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You have been brought, you have been brought from the grave to life, from death to life. And you are an instrument in the hand of God. May we live like it. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use us as an instrument. We pray that you would remind us every day that you have raised us from the grave, from the dead, and we will have eternal life forever with you. God, in those things that we have kind of mucked up in our life where we just persist in sin. Give us just your new power and your new grace to cleanse them this week, Father. That we would desire to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, work through us in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.